Hello once again and welcome to another edition of the Great Lakes Divide podcast with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling. The sound you hear coming in, going out are brought to you by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Heather Ferrari, her staff, ready, willing, able to serve you. If you have a special order coming up for the holidays, they can put that in for you. They can turn it around in 24 to 48 hours and they have lots of Black Friday specials coming up very soon. That's the day after Thanksgiving, of course, and the store will be open and ready to rock, literally. You've got equipment there, sound equipment, hi-fi stereo equipment dating back to the 70s. It's vintage and it's fully operational. It goes through an engineer tested electrically and electronically to make sure that it's delivered in working order to your door. All the latest and greatest, the new music comes in on Fridays on vinyl and all the all-time classics and greats as well. Be sure to give them a look. And again, this Black Friday coming up, perfect place to shop for somebody that you love. That's the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Starting things off with the University of Michigan Wolverines and the big win that they enjoyed at Indiana on Saturday, 39-14. to They were but nine-point favorites coming into this game, and early on it was a bit of a struggle, but Shea Patterson found his groove in one of his top targets in this game, Nico Collins. Here's what Jim Harbaugh had to say about it. Um, it's good to uh, get, get Nico on some, some crossing routes, some slant routes, uh, some deep ends. You know, he's uh, you know, he's very good at it. He's a very he's a very uh, got a big target. He throw a big catch radius, and um, so he's you know his, his assortments of routes that he's running is is uh, clicked up quite a bit, and, um, and he's coming through. A lot of the deep balls. I mean, they're kind of grabbing him pretty early, you know, and. Uh, but he is, he's high-pointing the ball as, as, well as, uh, as well as you can. Doing a tremendous job uh, on the posts, high-pointing those balls. Uh, you know, he's getting separation. Uh, he's just doing a lot, of, a lot of great things as a receiver. Big plays on multiple occasions, shredding the Indiana defense. Collins had six catches for 165 yards and three touchdowns just overshadowing a very solid effort by Donovan Peoples-Jones, who had five grabs for 73 yards and a score. And Patterson continues his hot play of late. He was 20 of 32, 366 yards, nearly matching his performance from a week ago against Michigan State in that big win. He threw five touchdowns and one incidental interception that was deep in Indiana territory. But for that... Patterson played nearly a perfect game, and this was a viable opponent in Indiana that had been hot, that offense had been rolling, and early on they would drive 10 plays, 75 yards for the opening score the Hoosiers would to take the lead. Michigan answers right back. An interception later, and Michigan would have to punt. Indiana took a second lead on their third drive of the game, seven plays, 52 yards. Now that took 244 off the clock. But the Hoosiers would not score again as Michigan would roll the rest of the way, coming back from 14-7 to down, 32 unanswered points, 39-14 the final as we bring in Tom Crawford. And Tom, early thoughts in this one as I kind of pointed out on Twitter that, hey, Indiana might be able to match Michigan a bit offensively punch for punch, but something we described and discussed in our earlier week podcast about previewing this game was I thought Michigan, the way they were rolling offensively, would just be too much for Indiana's defense. That certainly proved to be the case. But how you were feeling early in this one and where Michigan turned the corner for good, how would you identify that in this game? 
possible. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I going into this game, I predicted a 31, 10, a 21 point win for Michigan. I knew their offense would be clicking. So I, I, even when they had the struggles early on, uh, and they were down 14, seven and then, but when they, when they, when they matched at 14, 14, and then they, and then they went ahead 21, 14 at halftime, I thought that was a precarious. I mean, I thought Indiana was hanging on, and then Michigan scored a field goal on their first drive, second half, made it double digits, and and then they were off to the races and shut them out completely in the second half. Again, the, the very similar to last week in this regard, Ryan was the fact you know the the multiple yards. I mean, 366 yards, very similar in total yards throwing the the football, but nine different receivers mm-hmm. for the second straight week. And I think that's the key for Shea Patterson. Yeah, four of those kids got one grab, but they're they're spreading the ball around. Once again, this is what Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer and some of the experts uh, kept pounding the nail that this offense, once it clicks in, look out. And, uh, you know, week number six, week, week number seven, that's what it's been doing. And it was obviously halftime of the Penn State game that people keep pinpointing. Uh, but, yeah, they're on a roll right now, and uh, they're – Boy, they didn't take long to put this game away or put this game behind them. They're already talking Ohio State. It's <laughs> officially Ohio State week. It certainly is. But as we reflect upon this one, as Michigan gears up for that game to hit full stride, it was important they go down to Bloomington and play a solid game. They did that on both sides of the ball. They turned a fumble into a touchdown in the second half, and that really put this game on ice, stretching the lead from 32-14 to 39-14. I like the wrinkle they showed after a long touchdown drive that was a quick strike, two plays, 80 yards. They kind of had Indiana on the ropes and they took a game that was 24-14, to 14, and they went for two. Dylan McCaffrey in the game, Tom, and I don't know that the camera cut away quickly to the point conversion that they were ever lined up to kick it, but Indiana was caught basically off guard, and, and Michigan pounced on them, got the extra point there, got two instead of one. I mean, the reaction to me was, why not say that for next week? <laughs> you know, but, yep. uh, but maybe maybe just give Ohio State something uh, – to think about yeah i mean that made it uh, you know that was uh, that made the lead 18 it's funny uh that's more than two you know more than two touchdowns and a field goal maybe that making it 18 was a little more daunting than 17 but i tell you what if you miss it then it's still a, it's a legitimate two score game two and a, and a pair of two point conversions uh some element of of gamble with that but i think at that time the, the michigan coaching staff and the players thought they had that game in command and I had the relatives down uh, uh, for that game and uh, got a text. And, uh, you know, from an Indiana standpoint, their students uh, were, didn't show up very much. Um, I, I think they've already gone on Thanksgiving break, <laughs> it sounds like to me. And Indiana is just not a, a football school. And you talk about domination of a series. I mean, you got to go back to 1967. So from 1967 till now, they beat them once at 14 to 10. Uh, decision in Bloomington and that, you know, that monsoon rain when Bill Mallory is coached in 1987, and which is a very good Indiana team, by the way, uh, and a not so good Michigan team. But uh, that that's incredible domination of this series. It is because Indiana's had some teams here and there. As you look back, maybe at the Trent Green years, you mentioned Anthony Thompson, 1987. That's arguably the best team they've had over the time span that you're talking about. But Antoine Rendell L, this year's team was very solid. I definitely thought it would be closer than this. The 14 for Indiana surprises me a lot more than the 39 for Michigan does, Tom. But they showed that graphic, as you mentioned, 
And it's just incredible. It's not, again, like Indiana was this doormat Rutgers-type team all those years. So I think it's even more impressive that Michigan has dominated the rivalry in the fashion that they have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been some close games, and including that 19, you know, the 1979 Anthony Carter when that game was tied. I mean, Lee Corso went for the tie better than nothing. Uh, and then he had uh, Michigan right down the field in that uh, famous play, John Wangler to Anthony Carter for 45 yards uh, and a walk-off touchdown. You know, the thing, another element why I felt so confident about this game, Ryan, was that Don Brown, you know, with a Penn State game and, and pretty much throughout his career coaching it as a DC at, at Michigan, he is very good at halftime adjustments. And I knew that some of the hiccups that they had defensively in the first half would get ironed out. And they certainly were, uh, you know, they were obviously in the second half completely shut them down and uh, win this game going away. I want to touch on that, Tom. Did you see something schematically or plays that played out as to why Michigan was able to put the clamps down on Indiana after starting off a bit roughly? What what were those adjustments that you saw? What changed? I, mean, I, I, I don't know technically what those adjustments were. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. There was more sure tackling, and, and then got, they got more uh, quarterback pressures in that second half. Um, I, I do know that glaring, and, and I'm not sure if, if going through the you know post game, uh, you know Q and A with, with Michigan. We'll we'll find out more about that actually this week uh, when 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 you get the coordinators in, in front of the media. That question will be posed. Uh, you know, I, you know, it was posed to Aiden Hutchinson, and, and they said no, we just you know we just geared down and 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 um, you know, locked in a little bit more focus and things like that. I'm not sure what exactly that entails. They were just better. They were just flat out better mm -hmm. in the second half. Uh, Indiana uh, wasn't as good. And Indiana dropped and lost a couple of players to injuries. I mean, they were falling like flies, it seemed like, mm -hmm. including a left tackle. Uh, and Indiana, you know, made some crucial penalties mm -hmm. uh, in the second half. That they, they kind of stymied themselves. It just wasn't all Michigan being all that efficient uh, defensively. I thought that, um, and, and I uh, and I, th I I just thought Indiana helped him a few times with some hiccups. Yeah, Michigan not a team defensively that needs help, and Indiana provided it in the form of eight penalties for 86 yards, nearly double the penalty yardage that Michigan was called for. The two turnovers, particularly that fumble in the second half, were big by Indiana. Michigan just had again an offensive zone knocking on the door, red zone interception throw by Shea Patterson. Otherwise, this margin might have been even more than 39 well, to 14. Know, you know, I mean, I, you know, I I can, you know, it's funny. Uh, maybe I've been watching Michigan football too much, but I can see this tendencies. Like, like I'm saying to myself, why is True Wilson in the game? You know, the Nico Collins that that touchdown pass for what 76 yards. I saw that was coming because I'm thinking True is in there. He's going to run one play, and then he's in there for pass protection because he is by far the best running back in terms of protecting Shea Patterson. And when he's in there, Shea has a lot of time. He's like a personal protector. Very similar to what Anthony uh, Thomas was for Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he, you know, he protected him. And, uh, he, you know, Shea, when Shea has time, he threw that dart to Nico Collins on that slant, and he was off to the races. And uh, sometimes you can see this stuff of why is True Wilson in the game and that was a reason. Yeah, that shot to Collins really was, I thought, the kill shot in this game. And uh, safety playing up way too far, took a bad angle. Collins was into the mist and into the dust. And 
scoring the touchdown. And then again, they went for two on that and got it. And then that put the game again out of reach for Indiana, in which Peyton Ramsey didn't play all that well. He only had uh, 217 yards through the air, no touchdowns. And this is a team, as you look at Peyton Hendershot, the very solid tight end for the Hoosiers, who had six catches, 62 yards, but there wasn't a whole lot going on outside of him. Donovan Hale, one of their solid wide receivers, only had one catch for six yards. Nick Westbrook had one big one for 29, but he only made two catches on the game. Uh, Ty Freifogel, who came in into his starting role, four catches, 39 yards. And here's what I noticed, uh, taking away from this, Tom, having watched Indiana closely now in two games this year, the first one being their narrow defeat in East Lansing against Michigan State, 40-31. to 31. But the big difference, Michael Penix was in that game. He couldn't play today. And Watt Fillier, their best receiver, was not able to suit up in this one against Michigan. That had a big effect on the game from what I saw. Yeah, that too. And then also, Stevie Scott, uh, I, you know, I thought initially in those first two series, he was going to be able to run the ball. He looked like he was going to be able to run the ball. Michigan uh, defended well. You know, they stopped the running game attack. They only ended up with 97 uh, total yards. You know, Michigan, um, I think in, in the first half, they were getting uh, – IU's offensive line was getting push on them. You could see that. They were moving the pile, and that stopped uh, into the second quarter. This is the thing about this Michigan defense, this D-line in particular. They are not big at all. I mean, they're they're fast. I will give them that. But this is one of the smaller D-lines that they have, and that's going to be a you know part of the dawning challenge next week with against Ohio State. The run game for Indiana, you touched on Stevie Scott. He had 13 carries, just 54 yards, and as a team, Indiana averages 2.6 yards per carry, and that's not even – a lot of sack yardage that normally weighs that number down like it did for Michigan in this game. Shea Patterson, uh, three carries, so to speak, for negative 15 yards in this game. But Zach Charbonnet, uh, not a lot of touches. Again, I think Michigan with Josh Gaddis and the play calling goes vertical with the passing game, and I think that's their sweet spot. I believe that's their bread and butter. Patterson's in a groove. He's throwing mostly very good balls, and the one in to Collins uh, specifically stood out to me. Any concerns about the run game, uh, Tom? I know that they want to predicate everything on that, but again, if a team is loading up and determined to stop or slow it down, you're going to take the the passing game, what they give you, and just your thoughts on that balance going into the Ohio State game where you know they're going to have to be able to do both. Well, they they are going to have to do. This is not playing Michigan State and Indiana where you can beat either of those teams, um, and they're average teams. Well, I'll just say it. I'll leave it at that. They're they're average football teams right now, um, you, you you have to strike a balance with a team like Ohio State, in particular with Chase Youngback. I mean, he was like a caged animal today, uh, getting out of his cage, like getting, you know, squeezing out of his cage and going at it. If you can't balance a running attack, I mean, if you're going to be in a throwing mode all the time where you're going to have your right tackle, going to have to pass pro all the time, John Rudding Jr., that's, gonna, that's a recipe for disaster because that's there's going to be some sacks going on there. I, I think you're going to have to counter. You're going to have to have some, you know, basically play some horizontal game. You might have to do some bubble screens um, uh, to combat that. It's and we, we can talk about that. You know, all that scheme and that strategy uh, more on Wednesday. The thing I start, you know, that I, I want to also find out is Zach Jarvanet didn't even get in the game until the second quarter. Yeah, I found I found that the Haskins uh, Jarvanet um, the pattern of their playing puzzles me. I'm not, you know, I'm not complaining about it, but 
there's not really any consistency about it. You just never know where you're going to get, mm-hmm. who's going to play, and how long they're going to get. Very good point. And those two together have formed a nice one-two punch. Uh, another guy, we've been talking about the freshman receivers for Michigan, Tom, and this is, to me, the most pleasant surprise for the Wolverines when you talk about Mike Sandra still and Giles Jackson and both of them having big grabs in this game. They only had one catch each, but for Jackson, it was for 50 yards. For Sandra still, it was 35. Nicely done. I, mean, I remember it was down the left sideline, but just how much of a contribution these two have made in their freshman year and whether you saw this coming, I mean, from the spring game, I think you said Sandra still stood out then, but what can you take from a spring game really? Well, I mean, yeah, you know, when you go to a spring game, you're just looking for something to talk about. I mean, <laughs> you're so starving for football and this Miss Mike Sandra still, I mean, man, that's all we talked about. I mean, cause there wasn't, there's just not a lot to talk about a spring yeah. game. So, I mean, it was one of those visual things that you grabbed, you know, who's this number 19 out there. Um, so yeah, that that didn't surprise. I mean, I I didn't see the Giles Jackson uh, role being this relevant compared to running kickoffs back. Um, and he had that big kickoff return against Maryland. He tried to fake his way into one. <laughs> yes, he was, did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was kind of funny. That reminded me of backyard football. But man, I don't know if they blew the whistle or what. But no, that was that was a big grab he had that that fifty yarder he had today, and that's good because. Uh, those two kids are back next year, and um, you know that's important uh, to have that depth at wide receiver because that's a tiring position to play uh, when you're going RPO and you're going up tempo. I mean, those receivers, their tongues are hanging out, you know, and you need you need to shift guys back in. And there's a lot of receivers. I mean, Nico Collins, DPJ, Giles Jackson, Sandra Still, Tariq Black, Ronnie Bell. I mean, the list goes on and on, um, and that's not even including the tight ends, Eubanks and McCune. So a lot of good targets for Shea Patterson. How about Ronnie Bell getting his first touchdown catch of the season, Tom? It's a long time coming. Yeah, it was, and, uh, you know, that's that's great. I, I was disappointed for him. Uh, he had a – he had a uh, just missed a, a big, big play mm-hmm. early on. I just want good things to happen to him, and – He's been on a roll lately and uh, having him be real positive uh, going into that Ohio State game. Yeah, that deep ball you're talking about, it was kind of like on a flag route to long down the field. Yeah, and I believe was. Patterson put the ball right where he had to. Oh, it was a perfect throw. Yeah, it just was one, an absolute perfect throw. One off Bell's fingertips. It would have been a very good catch, but they're, they're counting yeah. on him to make those. And speaking of Shea Patterson, I know there was a lot of chatter on Twitter as I follow the game in real time, Tom, about – you know, Michigan's up big, 39-14. And what's Shea Patterson still doing in there? We don't want to get him hurt. Any thoughts along those lines that maybe Michigan should have kind of eased off the gas a little earlier? Well, I mean, I think if they had another possession, they would have put Dylan in. I mean, what happened was that he threw the pick, and then Indiana had this long, sustaining drive to close out the game where they moved the ball on the ground. They chewed up the last five minutes and then really didn't even make an effort to score. I don't know if you recall that part of the game. Oh, I recall, Tom. I recall because I had the over on 53 and it ended up being a push. (laughs) Even though, like you said, (laughs) Indiana went 13 plays, 48 yards. They took eight minutes and seven seconds off the clock. But you're right. They didn't try to punch it in. Why? Why not? I I thought that was the strangest element of the entire game. Uh, and I was, you know, obviously pleased. I'm, you know, the the fact that I wanted Michigan to shut these guys out in the second half. But my God, they, you know, they were pinned down there, and they got the first down, and they got into a rhythm with this backup quarterback, mind you. And and they, you know, Tuttle, 
and uh, they, they just all of a sudden, okay, let's we've done enough. And uh, yeah, this Jack Tuttle, he's pretty good, but uh, let's go home. I thought that was really, <laughs> really, really weird. It was very, very strange. So Michigan, once again, big winners in this one. And I think this was the most impressive win in the Big Ten on this day based on the opponent, based on the fact it was on the road. The weather was crappy. You know, Michigan just exerted its will, especially offensively, and they clamped down defensively, too. This was a very solid all-around performance. Doesn't mean that they're ready for Ohio State. Let's hear from Aiden Hutchinson on that. Yeah, it was huge. Just uh, having this momentum going into the biggest game of the year, uh, you know, it's, it's great to have. Uh, obviously, we started off a little slow, but, you know, with the defense that if we get punched in the face, you know, we will, you know, keep striking, keep coming at them. So uh, I wouldn't be too worried when people, you know, get, get a touchdown on us because we're always going to keep coming and coming and coming. So it all leads to this, Tom. You've got Ohio State having clinched now with their victory today over Penn State. 28-17, they struggled a bit more than I think people anticipated they would. I believe they were up 21-0 very briefly in this one before Penn State rattled off 17 points in the third quarter, at least stayed within shouting distance in this one. Uh, but Ohio State has clinched a berth to Indianapolis again. They're undefeated 8-0 in conference, 11-0 overall, number two in the college football playoff rankings. Penn State falls into a tie with Michigan. They do have the head-to-head tiebreaker, but does that really matter for second or third place? I don't think so. Penn State plays Rutgers next week. They'll win, and they'll finish 10-2. and Michigan trying to do the same and finish in a tie for second place with Penn State, but it'll take a home win in Ann Arbor against Ohio State. We'll get into this game much more in detail coming up during our midweek podcast right before Thanksgiving, Tom. But from a snapshot standpoint, as you watch Penn State today, give Ohio State probably their best fight of the season, and there haven't been many. Wisconsin didn't. Michigan State certainly didn't. Is Michigan equipped to give Ohio State the best punch they've taken all year long? Oh, absolutely. They're going to get, I mean, they. You know, the reason this game was so close, I mean, Ohio State turned the damn ball over. This goes back to all – football is not that complicated of a game. <laughs> uh, and Ohio State could have been up 14 nothing in the first quarter, but they fumble into the end zone from the one half-yard line, mind you, instead of 14 nothing, or it's 7 nothing with Penn State setting up shop at their own 20 as they get the touch as they get the touchback. How, how convenient is that? This game is very misleading in terms of the score – and the fact that Ohio State let Penn State back in it. Ohio State got a buck 28 through the air, 99 yards on the ground. But it was those turnovers that really killed, uh, that kept, you know, the, the game close. And, and uh, you know, that's how Penn State got back in the game. And that's probably not a good thing from Michigan State. I mean, they probably got their turnovers out of their system too. But, yeah, I mean, Justin Fields fumbled three times. He lost two. And J.K. Dobbins fumbled once. Mm-hmm. That's three turnovers. That's very unlike uh, Ohio State, and that's that's why the game was close. It you know, in my mind, it wasn't that close of a game. No, but the Dobbins fumble that you just cited really turned this game in Penn State's favor. If the, if he doesn't fumble that ball, granted there were the other two that you talked about with Fields, but I, I still don't think Penn State gets the the juice, so to speak, to turn this game around, at least make it competitive. One other thing coming out of this one, and it's kind of why I asked you about Shea Patterson staying in the game against Indiana so long, Justin Fields was taken down 
on one of those fumbles that he would recover himself, Tom. And I believe you saw this. It looked like he rolled his ankle. He was walking off under his own power, but you could hear a pin drop at Ohio Stadium there while he was down. He kind of brushed away the trainers, walked off under his own power, but he didn't look like he was into at 100% after that play took place. Maybe something to keep an eye on as he comes up north to Ann Arbor. Well, and you you really don't even know this stuff till tomorrow morning. Or, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm sure there, we would have heard of something by now uh, as we're taping this. But, I mean, I yeah, it's uh, – well, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, uh, it was still a double – you know, an 11-point game. I, I see why he was still in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, yeah, he took the final snap, albeit, um, you know, taking a knee so – it didn't require a lot of movement, but he was still on the field the very last snap. So I'm sure he'll be fine. But this was the whole issue with Ohio State. And this was my hesitancy on Ohio State, besides being very bullish on Michigan, was the lack of depth at quarterback. And they certainly haven't developed that this year. Um, and so they're very fragile with a, with, you know, with a one-shot wonder in Justin Fields. Ohio State gets the win, however, and again, they clinch their trip to Indy for the Big Ten title game coming up early December 28-17, the final in Columbus over Penn State. Minnesota handles business on the road, a season to forget for Northwestern, 38-22, the final score there. That one about how people expected it to. Purdue gave Wisconsin fits for much of this game, although the Badgers pulled away late, 45-24, the final in Madison, Wisconsin on top of the Boilermakers. Illinois, give them credit they played tough in a very difficult place to play in Iowa the Hawkeyes win it at home 19 to 10 but I I think Illinois has proven themselves this season as being a very solid team and this was not the case early on in the year when they lost at home to Eastern Michigan they'll finish their season at home against Northwestern you figure they'll win and that means the Illini and Lovey Smith would finish seven and five and probably go to a fairly decent bowl game and Lovey is definitely a strong candidate for Coach of the Year in the Big Ten, along with P.J. Fleck. The other score, that this one did surprise me. I thought Nebraska might get kind of podunked on the road at Maryland. I could not have been more wrong. Cornhuskers win it 54-7. to The Terrapins are terrible, and but for Rutgers <laughs> would be the worst team in the Big Ten. And I've changed my mind again. We'll get to Michigan State's game against Rutgers in just a moment, Tom, but how bad Maryland was at home against Nebraska. Not a great football team, the Cornhuskers. I do believe Michigan State will win a battle of attrition coming up Saturday uh, in the season finale, and I do believe the Spartans are going to get to a bowl game. Oh, yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, what happened today, I mean, Nebraska jumped on Maryland on the road in College Park early and often, and that one really surprised me. That means this team, attitude-wise, is not there like I, I thought they would be with Mike Loxley, and Nebraska's not that good of a football team. so. um Wow, I think Michigan State's going to waltz. Uh, we'll talk about that later over Maryland. Maryland's not not any good, but um, well, I'll tell you about what I think about Rutgers when we get to that. Yeah, game. well, certainly <laughs> that was a pretty eye-opening game watching Rutgers. Oh boy, Ru- was- watching Rutgers today was mind-boggling to me. Oh, right, it can hurt your your brain and your eyes. But Maryland at this point, you mentioned under Loxley, they've lost six in a row. They're three and eight. They turned up flat at home on senior day against Nebraska. They were lucky to just get a touchdown late, almost like a mercy uh, type situation. And they have nothing to play for on the road. Last game, they're going nowhere. No bowl game, uh, no home fans. 
again, they're just going to show up. And Michigan State does have something to play for now that they uh, ensured that they remain bowl eligible, or at least on that path. They need one more win to get to six and to get to a bowl game. And no doubt they'll get an invitation should they get that six win. We'll touch on Michigan State Rutgers in just a moment. A reminder that you're listening to the Great Lakes Divide podcast with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling. Heather Frary, our proud sponsor at the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Again, you can find them just south of downtown Lansing from 496. You take South Washington right in the heart of Rio Town to the Rio Town Marketplace. And they're front and center right there with the broad windows. You can see right inside. You can walk inside, get your latest uh, vinyl, whether it's the all-time classic hits or the new music that comes out on Fridays. And don't forget Black Friday coming up. Heather's going to have some specials. We'll have more details on that coming up in our midweek podcast right before Thanksgiving. Check them out. Check them out online. Like them on Facebook. That's the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Turning now to the Michigan State Spartans. And as far as my picks go, I did not do so well this week. I had Michigan State winning big, but not covering a 20 and a half point spread at 28 to 10. That was my pick. And I had Indiana covering on the road 31 27. Michigan outplayed my pick and locked it in for Tom. So, Tom, I believe you went one and one because we both picked Rutgers to cover, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And Michigan State was able to do just that and they did what they had to do i mean what are you going to do against rutgers there's nothing you can do against rutgers that's going to make you go oh we're back and this is it's just they were even worse the scarlet knights than i thought they were coming in they have no answers at quarterback Uh, their defense is suspect at best cody white just carved up the rutgers secondary in a 27 to nothing win for michigan state Lewerke, again, a little bit creaky and uneven. 21 for 30, though. His percentage was good. 239 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. But again, the story today was Cody White. 11 catches, 136 yards, three touchdowns. They had no answer, Rutgers, for Cody White. And my only question is, again, I know it's Rutgers, but, Tom, it seems like even when Daryl Stewart was healthy and he didn't play again today, that, that combination you would have thought would have taken some pressure, attention, heat off of White, and that Cody would have been the, the kind of breakthrough player we saw today on a more consistent basis this season, but all too often we would see him disappear. And even last week when the Spartans lost yet again, he had a big plate on the left sideline but got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty against Michigan. That set them back 30 yards, and really they never recovered from that. But how much of this game were you able to watch, Tom, and how much were you able to stay awake for? Well, I mean, I was watching, obviously, in Monitor 1, I was watching Ohio State and Penn State. I Keeping an eye on Rutgers and, and Michigan State. And, and um, I, I think there needs to be some kind of a point-shaving investigation of a game last week. How the hell did Rutgers score 21 points on Ohio State? Yeah. Is mind-boggling to me. I mean, I mean, how did that happen? I mean, how does that – Michigan – I mean, Rut, I mean, Rutgers got 57 yards – through the air, 83 on the ground, and they just looked like a freaking high school team out there today. I mean, I, I mean, I, I I had some text messages from Michigan State fans, um, uh, and, and I saw some tweets from some Michigan State fans and Michigan State media, and it was all just baffled by how bad Rutgers is, as opposed to hey, Michigan State's winning 27 nothing. This has to be the most unsatisfying. 27-point victory (laughs) Michigan State ever had in the history of their program. I got some thoughts on Rutgers in a moment, but one of the things I wanted to point out, Johnny Langan, this dual-threat quarterback, only completed 40% of his passes 
Tom hit on it, 57 yards total through the air, averaging 2.9 yards per pass. Langan was their leading ball carrier as well with 14 rushes for 49 yards. Isaiah Pacheco, he was the only other Rutgers tailback to touch the ball in this game. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> 12 carries, 36 yards, and Rutgers, it's not even like they, they passed. The, they didn't run that many plays. How about this? Third down, Michigan State, pretty good. 7 of 16. Rutgers, 0 for 11 on third down. 0 for 11. Rutgers in this game. Penalty yardage, the Spartans actually did okay here. 4 for 40, and Rutgers had 7 penalties. For 84 yards, they had two turnovers. And Michigan State, you know, this is pretty ugly. We talked about this earlier too, Tom, that you can get lulled into playing down to the level of the competition. If you do that with Rutgers, you're going to be hurting for a while. But thankfully, Michigan State able to pull away in this one. Uh, your thoughts on this game overall? And, and what, if anything, the Spartans can take away from this when you you say it, it's the worst or the least satisfying 27 nothing win in the history of the program, and I can't necessarily disagree with that, but any takeaways at all for Michigan State other than they stopped a five-game losing streak? Well, I thought Elijah Collins ran the ball well. Uh, there, there are, you know, I mean, look, look, they they won the game decisive. There was The game was never in doubt, and it doesn't matter what the fans think. It doesn't matter what the media thinks. It matters how the players uh, took this game. And, and, and when I looked at the optics, uh, via television, mind you, um, there's nobody in the state. It's a stale crowd. Obviously there's no way, reason to get excited. <laughs> I thought I saw some enthusiasm from those Michigan state players and that that's something to hang on to. It looked to me like they still cared. I mean, this team hasn't won since September 28th. Think about that for a second. And, and, you know, when you finally get that monkey off your shirt, you finally get that win. You could tell that that was very sweet to them. Uh, you know, they were embracing it. And I think that's a good thing going into next week. Elijah Collins was the bell cow back 31 carries. He turns in 109 yards, only a 3.5 per carry average, but it definitely showed that he's durable, had a long run of 23. And how about not only the improved play of the linebackers in the absence of Joe Bocci, you have Noah Harvey, who's pressed into duty, he had a quarterback hurry, a pass deflection, had six tackles, three of those solo. Tyreek Thompson had a decent game. But Xavier Henderson, yet again, stepping up big, led the team with nine tackles, had a nice read on an interception and returned at 32 yards. So for a much maligned Michigan State secondary, Tom, on the season, Xavier Henderson these last couple of weeks has been a bright spot, and that includes his performance last week against Michigan. You know, absolutely. You know, part of the reason I thought they played well today, I think the, you know, I, you know, everybody says, well, what's Mark D'Antonio going to say on Tuesday? Of course, he's going to say what he said. I think the players hearing uh, conviction that he plans on being back, I think that showed today. I think that was part of it. You know, and if they win, you know, all if they beat these two horrible teams, <laughs> uh, and they, if they win their bowl game, I, I, you know, I, I, and you're probably tired of me saying this over the years, as long as you've known me. I'm just big on bowl wins. I think they're huge. If you win a bowl game, I just think that's great for your program to get through those morning winter workouts, you know, uh, running at uh, 7 in the morning if you've been out the bar the night before and you're throwing up in barrels and all that stuff. It gets you through that stuff and spring ball. And, uh, you know, this, you know, I think Michigan State is in a position to make as much as they possibly can make out of this and end and, and the game seven and uh, in the season, rather, 
seven and six like they did in 2012. And we know how that played into a incredibly good season in 2013 for Michigan State. One of the things I liked in this game, Tom, is that Mark D'Antonio, and this is not his M.O., has finally turned the page in some way on this season to the freshmen that are ahead of him. And the only bright spot I see is for this offensive line with Devontae Dobbs. He is hyped as the next Flozell Adams. That is a lofty comparison, but a viable one. It's a five-star left tackle, and he comes in and starts, but he's still on some kind of turnstile with AJR Curry, and there was not a lot of uh, consistency there. I didn't think Dobbs was allowed to kind of get into a groove you have J.D. DePlain, a freshman that started at left guard instead of Luke Campbell. Nick Samak, the freshman, starting at center. So you got three freshmen, and Mark D'Antonio made mention of this, from left tackle, left guard to center on this offensive line for Michigan State. And that's why I want to reinforce the point you just made. They need those bowl practices, this offensive line, and those three oh. freshmen. I think it would benefit them tremendously no matter what the bowl game is. And I agree with you, Tom, for a season that's been sour – if they can get into a quick lane bowl or whatever, maybe they play Florida State there. That's not terrible. That's a good program. You know, you get to see uh, Harlan Barnett come back, at least for one game in Detroit there. There's a lot of value to Michigan State winning this sixth game, going to a bowl game, and hopefully getting a bowl win, like you said. Well, and all that matters is that that satisfaction that they're going after has nothing to do with the fans. I mean, I know the fans are important, but to those 85 scholarship guys and the 20 or so walk-ons, if they can, you know, put themselves in a vacuum and this is all about us and who, if we're going to get negative noise, just block it out and focus on ending this season on a positive note. When you combine that with a coach that's committed to coming back and say he does and say he makes some necessary tweaks in his staff, that's all good. And then you have all these, these freshmen getting experience, especially on O-line, which is the toughest learn in the entire game of football is offensive line play. If you have three three or four freshmen that have gotten in-game experience uh, and, and starting in some cases, that's huge for next year. Definitely is in Michigan. They got to get a quarterback, though, because oh. I'm telling you what, that's an issue for Michigan State, I think, as I don't know if Theo Day is the answer, and I don't know what else you got in that program with Rocky Lombardi. There's the biggest question mark. If we're talking about 2020, it'll be Rocky Lombardi's job to lose from the outset. And that's not to say that Theo Day couldn't possibly step in and win it. But it's a big question. And I'll be fair. It's been a big question the last two years, even with Brian Lewerke. And I never thought I would say that coming off of his stellar 2017 season. But it just has been a really mixed bag at best for Lewerke in 2018. And again, here in 2019, and some of that has to do with the makeshift offensive line in front of him. Some of it has to do with diminishing returns in assets for targets, wide receivers, running backs, leaving the program, uh, tight ends. I think Seibert has been a guy that stepped up in a big way. You know, Dotson gets hurt. So th there's been a lot of things happening around Brian Lewerke, but that's not to absolve him of responsibility either. He's thrown a very wobbly ball. I mean, when you watch Lewerke, like I did today, against Rutgers, and Again, hit or miss here or there. And then you watch Shea Patterson and the improvement curve that he's been on over these last several weeks. You can see, Tom, a noticeable difference between these two. And I would have said, again, coming out of 2017, going into 2018, knowing what we knew about Shea Patterson, but he hadn't played a down yet at Michigan, I would have taken Lewerke 10 times out of 10 over Patterson. And now I'm the exact opposite. It's not even close. 
Well, I don't think you're alone in that. I mean, Lewerke had some, you know, he had, you know, a couple of years ago, he was tremendous. Um, yeah, Shea Patterson has really kicked in um, and adjusted to the new system. Uh, there's some people that are not totally bullish on Shea Patterson. There's some throws that he looks bad. Uh, but I thought overall since, you know, obviously since the Penn State game uh, and beyond, second half in particular and beyond, he's been really sharp. And he's really going to need to be sharp. I mean, this this is his opportunity to truly shine next week. I mean, this could be his finest hour to to steal the phrase from Jim Harbaugh on November 30th in, in Ann Arbor. So Michigan State takes care of business on the road, 27 to nothing, the final score here. Not much more to take away from that, but it was great to see Cody White have the kind of game he did. Great to see Xavier Henderson with the big play he made on the interception and overall just playing very good football in the secondary, which Michigan State unfortunately has lacked for a good portion of this season. They'll come back home for Maryland on Saturday in a sparsely attended game over Thanksgiving weekend. But it's just, again, a battle of attrition. I believe Michigan State, they have something to play for. They're at home. It's senior day. And one more win will get them to a bowl game. Maryland's just uh, cashing the checks right now. They're just punching in and punching out and getting the heck out of Dodge. So look for them to lose their seventh straight. We'll have much more on that game coming up in our midweek podcast, along with, of course, Michigan and Ohio State. It's that time of year again. It's that big week. And Tom will have plenty to say in our midweek podcast. Might have a special guest as well. Stay tuned for that but let's look back now at Michigan basketball for a moment Tom you were down there at Chrysler and uh, never a doubt in this one against a very bad Houston Baptist Huskies team Michigan led at halftime 63-26 they played basically even the rest of the way in the second half but end up cruising to a 111-68 victory now I talked about the two guards for Houston Baptist that are decent and they turned in good performances Ian DuBose and Jalen Gates combining for 31 points, 16 and 15 respectively. But I was impressed by Xavier Simpson in this one. Eight of 10 from the floor, 22 points, 14 assists against just three turnovers. He was the straw that stirred the drink for Michigan in this one. Again, the only thing that Houston Baptist had coming to the table were a solid pair of guards, but Simpson just sliced and diced them. Well, I think what led to the big score was the number of possessions got amped up because Houston Baptist... Every trip down on the court, that ball's going up 10 to 12 seconds into the shot clock. I mean, they don't mess around. And it, it fed into Michigan. I mean, this game got out of hand. I mean, Michigan was up by 30 halfway through the first half. It was crazy. But Isaiah Livers can, continues to be a, a very consistent player. What I liked about this game, Ryan, is that Michigan um, played a, a bad team but they played great against a bad team. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that doesn't happen. Most of the times it doesn't happen. Um, and Michigan is notorious for not making that happen. They rarely play good against really bad to, you know, really, really good against bad teams. And I thought it was, so that was important in that regard and emptied the bench completely. And the, the crowd was pretty decent for a, a Friday night game, uh, you know, against a, uh, you know, another cupcake, if you will. Um, and so now real basketball begins for Michigan on Wednesday when they go to the Battle of Atlantis and they got Iowa State, potentially North Carolina if they beat Alabama, and even potentially Oregon if the, those two teams win two games and match up in that third game, uh, which is a very good team. So um, they're going to find out um, in, in you know in a you know extra in an environment not around friendly Chrysler Arena. They're going not in a, somebody else's gym, but at least it's away from their gym. And the team can bond, and so it's it's all good. 
Isaiah Livers with 24 points on 10 shots. How about this? Livers and Simpson combine for 17 of 20 from the floor. And the, a lot of those shots were from three. The two combined yeah. there for seven for nine from distance. Now, the rest of the team didn't shoot so well from three. Most notably, uh, Adrian Nunez, who was like George Costanza chucking in this game, two for ten from three. But I guess <laughs> he's trying to find his shot. The one player that I'm very intrigued by at this point and I love that David DeJulius, who I think is a, a future captain of this team and leader, he put out a tweet congratulating the play of Colin Castleton, who had 14 points, three rebounds, two block shots, very efficient, six of seven from the floor in just 14 minutes of play. What's the upshot here on Castleton, Tom? What do you see from him going forward? Well, I mean, I mean, he's got to, he's just got to finish around the hoop. It's kind of got what Teske went through a couple of years ago where he, you know, he's got to just be strong. And, and sometimes he puts the ball too many times on the hardwood, you know, go, just go up with it. He's got that syndrome a little bit, uh, but he's got great feet. He's got a lot of upside. He's got to put on more weight. I think he's going to be solid backup for Teske. You know, the takeaway I wanted to mention real quickly before we close on Michigan basketball, Ryan, is a press conference that Juwan Howard had on Thursday. And it was the point, or rather, it was, uh, yeah, Thursday afternoon. And it was um, it was basically, uh, what's the status of Franz Wagner? Because we're at four weeks, the injured uh, freshman uh, who, you know, fractured his wrist, and he was supposed to be back anytime between four and six weeks. Well, I mean, the questions, you know, were answered to Juwan, and you could tell that Juwan was frustrated with the peppering of questions, what Michigan media does continue to pound the nail on the same question, trying to get an answer. When's he going to be back? And it's like Juwan was, you know, was testy for the first time I've seen him. And um, but it sounded he sounded discouraged that it's not coming along as quickly as they had hoped. That's a key element is to get Franz Wagner back. The guy's a flat out shooter. This guy will be better than his brother. It won't even be close. And I say that with, you know, clear confidence he will be better than his big brother Mo who's now playing in the NBA you know you know for the Washington you know or you know in the NBA for Washington so I I really think that I really think that uh this could be a while maybe even you know now I say it's gonna be a Karis LeVert thing where he gets strung out the whole season but it could be a while before we see Franz Wagner I say that yet there when I saw him on the bench he did at least did not have a cast on. So maybe there is some level of progress. He is going to the battle of Atlantis in, you know, sweats and street clothes, whatever, uh, because he's part of the family, but he's not going to be playing. Well, so that's more, a big thing to look at. We'll have more on that Iowa state game for Michigan as they get set for that battle of Atlantis in the Bahamas on our Wednesday podcast, right before Thanksgiving, before you guys go out drinking and be safe when you do use an Uber or a Lyft. In the meantime, again, Michigan won 11-68 winners. They remain undefeated on the season at 4-0 over Houston Baptist on Friday night. Tom was there. But, Tom, uh, you're not going to the Bahamas, I'm assuming. No, I mean, I checked our great uh, Lakes Divide travel budget, and <laughs> we fell short. <laughs> Just a tad. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. You're right. Yeah, I was hoping maybe quite in there. I'm I was thinking maybe Tina would bankroll you. Well, I mean, I saw. I mean, we do have it on the pro forma on the as a line item, but all there are are zeros. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next year, and I'm not going to Maui either in Hawaii. So, oh for two on the Great Lakes Divide front, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, we are.
And we're building here. We're building. But Michigan State will be in action on Monday evening, 5 p.m. Eastern time start, ESPN2, live from the Lahana Civic Center in Maui, babe, as Virginia Tech, 5-0 and on the season, taking on number three, Michigan State, currently at 3-1. and This is no walkover. You'll remember Virginia Tech a year ago gave Duke all they could handle. In fact, may have been in position to win that game, but for a few things going against them, late in the contest that was the sweet 16 game before michigan state would upend duke in the elite eight to reach the final four this is a smaller team but they've got a difficult matchup in a guard named landers nolly the second he's just a freshman out of atlanta but he's six foot seven and how the spartans uh, defend him is going to go a long way in determining and how this game ends up he's averaging over 20 points per game to this point he's shooting 46 percent from three and he's got an able backcourt partner, Naheem Alain, who's shooting 44% from three. These guys can shoot from distance, but there might be a matchup advantage for the Spartans down low. I look for Xavier Tillman to have a big game in this one. He's got a sliding scale against the tougher teams with bigs like Kentucky and even Seton Hall. He has struggled, but against these types of teams that might be a little bit more mobile and fast, quick and small, Tillman can play that kind of game from the forward position. That's the guy I'm going to advise that all of you keep an eye on as this game unfolds for the Spartans in the opening round of that Maui Invitational. They could play Tom Crean and Georgia, a familiar face, former head coach at Indiana, former assistant, of course, for Michigan State and Tom Izzo. That would be a second-round matchup. And then in the championship game, they've already faced Kentucky. They're going to face Duke. They could see Kansas and the very uh, culmination of this Maui tournament, and I think for Michigan State competitively, that might be the best. I mean, their their schedule quotient is going to be off the charts in terms of Q1 victories or just games in general. If they go up against all three, Kentucky, Duke, and Kansas, in the same part of the non-conference schedule, that is saying something. Again, that'll be a 5 o'clock start, ESPN2 Eastern Time, Michigan State, Virginia Tech. Anything to add on Spartan basketball here, Tom? I, I know you're going to be tuned in and watching yourself. Yeah, I, I the the Joey Hauser story really, uh, boy, that really hit Tom Izzo hard. That the the fact that he's not going to be eligible this week, the fact that he went to and uh, resigned from the NABC, told, tells you how uh, pissed off he was. And you know what? He was totally justified in being pissed off. This this stuff is crazy. Um, you know, the, uh, I, the, the lack of consistency, although, you know, I mean, Joey Hauser's, I, I think his, um, didn't his brother transfer as well? Yes. Uh, and, and and he wasn't eligible either. I mean, so um, there, there's consistency in that, but I, I just don't, well, that's a whole nother discussion. I just think that if you're going to transfer, you should be allowed to transfer one, you know, one time without sitting out. This sitting out stuff, I think, is ridiculous. Oh, that's the Jim Harbaugh idea, and I fully embrace it. If a coach yeah. could switch teams and start coaching right away, a player. Now I get it. You don't want a guy hopscotching from program to program, and that's but probably. You don't, but let him do it one time. One time, sure, absolutely. And that's the thing is, Tom Izzo called this out for what it was, and I agree with them. These are arbitrary decisions. One guy gets a waiver, one guy doesn't. Kid in Memphis gets to pay a whole bunch of money back to a charity of his choice and gets to play, pay to play. Way, that right. way well, are you yeah. kidding me like what is well, this did, crap no like Bryn Forbes I, I never really how did Bryn Forbes how did he get to go and play right right out of with his transfer from Cleveland, Cleveland State. State I think it was because he was playing close to home and if I remember correctly there might have been an illness in the family something like that okay and I think that's great 
But once again, this is where you get into these. Where, where, where's the defined? I mean, I mean, where, where's the rule book on this stuff? I mean, this is what I'm talking about. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I mean, these are all examples, and that's why get away from all those little. Well, his, you know, his sister, you know, he was local or anything like that. Just make it black and white. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, James Wiseman is the player for Memphis that gets a 12 game suspension over this financial contribute whatever it is but yeah i mean we're getting to that point where there is going to be likeness and image compensation for a lot of these individual athletes and i think that'll especially be profitable for the basketball players on the men's side and just level the playing field here that's the only thing i ask that you have a consistent rule that's consistently applied that's the same for all teams and programs and i believe that's the biggest frustration that tom Izzo had coming out of this entire joey hauser mess so he's denied his appeal Joey Hauser will have to sit out the entire season. He'll be eligible to play come next fall. That's a big blow to Michigan State and their national title hopes. But here's hoping maybe some miracle happens in terms of health for Josh Lankford, and he's able to come back. We've seen Kyle Arns come back. But, man, having Joey Hauser as a perimeter shooter with his size, that would have put Michigan State on a totally different plane altogether. And I know Tom Izzo, is, as Tom Crawford just mentioned, not happy in the least about that. Uh, final thought, Tom Crawford. Well, it's, you know, it's, this is my favorite week of the year coming up, Thanksgiving week. And the fact that, you know, watch all that basketball, but man, that game on Saturday is going to be huge. I, I, it's, this is an opportunity, uh, Michigan beating Ohio State. I think, I think uh, what I saw today with the Penn State, I, I, I think it's, fe I think Michigan can compete with Ohio State. They just got to get over this whole, you know, the, this whole uh, psychological syndrome. And I think that if they see today that Penn State came close to beating Ohio State, maybe that will be that mentality thing that they need, that they can say, yeah, we can compete with these guys and, and they, they can hang with them. They just got to they gotta play a, a pretty doggone perfect game and not make mistakes and not make silly penalties and obviously not turn the ball over. So a big podcast coming up this midweek. You want to make sure to subscribe, download, listen, tell your friends as we'll have the very latest, our thoughts on the Maui Invitational for Michigan State, the battle for Atlantis in the Bahamas for Michigan after their matchup with Iowa State. Spartans playing Virginia Tech in the opening round. They might get Georgia Tom Crean in round two in Kansas in the title game as well. Full preview of Michigan-Ohio State. We'll go down memory lane with Tom Crawford. Might have a special guest in store for you on Wednesday for that big historic matchup between the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. And, of course, Michigan State playing at home against Maryland, just trying to salvage their season to become bowl eligible with that all-important sixth win and maybe get to the quick lane bowl in Detroit. For Tom Crawford, I'm Ryan Schuling, reminding you once again that our podcast is sponsored each and every time out by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. And Heather Frary, breaking news, just telling me right now that Black Friday, they'll have lots of limited edition vinyl. You can go to recordstoreday.com. That's recordstoreday.com. One S there, recordstoreday.com. And they'll see titles. They're open 10 to 6 on Black Friday, Saturday as well. It's Small Business Saturday, and they'll have sales on that day, just special for the occasion and for you. And a reminder that Queens of the Stone Age just repressed songs for the deaf. The first and second track are going to be featured in this podcast. And it's the first time that this one came out since 2002. And now it's on vinyl. It's all at the Record Lounge in Rio Town. And we thank them for their support. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. Get traveling safe, and we'll talk to you again on Wednesday with one final podcast before the big holiday. Thanks for listening. Amazing.